Hi, this is Michelle Nyong'o from Stride Wellness. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, make sure you go back and start at episode one. The first few episodes of the podcast tell a story, so you don't want to miss out on the beginning. As I move along, it is also meant to start a conversation on grief and loss. Later in the series, I will host interviews with counselors, professionals, and others who have experienced grief and loss. Please take note that some of what you're about to hear may be difficult to listen to and might be triggering for those who have experienced grief, loss, or time in a hospital setting. Episode 3, NICU Roller Coaster. In Vancouver, there's a roller coaster at Playland that is considered to be one of the best roller coaster rides in the world. It's called the Wooden Roller Coaster. Jazzy name, hey? So as you might expect, it's a wooden roller coaster, which is partly what makes it so great. Also adding to its draw is that it was constructed in 1958. My husband went on it once and told me, as I was too chicken to join him, that he thought he was going to die. He said it was rickety and old, leaving him certain it was going to go flying off the tracks. Thankfully, this is all just an effect of the ride that keeps people coming back for more. Roller coasters have this great duality to them. There's part of the ride where you feel elation as you travel exceedingly fast through twists and loops and surge to the top of camel hops. You screech and smile and lift your hands in the air, taking in all the fun. Then there are the drops, which trigger a fear response. The moments where you plummet downwards and you get that odd sensation in your stomach where it feels like the bottom has dropped out. There's an instant where you instinctively hold your breath and you fall, trusting the ride will catch you on the upswing. An added bonus to the wooden roller coaster is this ominous clickety-clacking of the ride, creating suspense while you crest the tops of any drops. As you descend, the ride jostles you around and the wood does nothing to comfort you as you bounce from side to side. Upon exiting the roller coaster, your body has a physical reminder, if only for a short time, that you experience the ride. The NICU is much the same way, moments of elation paired with moments of dread. We all hope to get out unscathed and carry with us just a few signs we were ever there. From Stride Wellness, this is Michelle Nyong'o, and you're listening to Weary and Burdened. Every person who visited, called, texted, or contacted us through social media brought with them a piece of love and strength. I read every message, even though I was unable to respond regularly. You would not believe how many times I felt total despair and a text message or Facebook post appeared and a huge sigh of relief was mine. I felt as though we were the most well-supported family in the hospital. The level to which love was shown to us was a privilege not everyone received. I was and still am touched by the kindness of others. Like having a child for the first time, the NICU brings with it a series of firsts. There are things that happen which one would normally take for granted. For example, the first diaper change. I was shaking like a leaf. He was so little. I was so scared, but I did it and loved touching him. I got to take his temperature and clean his mouth too. Seems insignificant if you've done it a thousand times with other children, but it was awesome. 
For anyone who has spent time with someone who is seriously or critically ill, injured or infirm, you know the emotions that accompany it are akin to a roller coaster ride. There are large swings up and down. I never wanted to get too high because it made the lows feel like a plummet from the top floor, but I tried to enjoy the joyous moments with all the bliss it brought with it. Even if just for a moment, I gave myself permission to breathe a huge sigh of relief and feel somewhat elated. We deserved that. Twisting and turning, the day of November 8th would bring with it a series of emotional loops. I went to visit David at the usual time and found a baby with fantastic respiration and blood pressure, so they were going to wean him off one of his medications. He was scheduled for a head ultrasound and an abdominal x-ray, something they'd done a ton of times. After a bit of a visit, I went to pump, and when I returned, there was a doctor waiting for me, probably for the head scan. Yep. It came back with two minor bleeds, nothing of concern. Phew. But, she said, Ugh, I could throw up when they said that. His x-ray showed air in the abdomen, which was a sign of perforation. The surgical team was paged. A surgical fellow came down and wanted to know if I knew David's chances of leaving the NICU. Seriously? This again? I thought, I don't care about your statistics and your thoughts of whether he's going to make it. The director of the NICU came to my rescue. He was not happy about the train of conversation. He told me the first week was a good indication, and three out of four babies in David's situation made it out of the NICU. That's up from one out of two we faced the first week. The surgical team decided to forgo surgery and instead were to insert a drain, which was much less invasive. 50% of drains were followed by surgery, but I didn't think about that. Roller coaster ride down. For many people who have had a child, they've experienced that odd scenario where you take your brand new baby to the grocery store and a stranger walks up and touches them, just touches them without your permission. Then you want to crawl out of your skin. Now imagine the hypervigilance of having a critically ill infant that is so tiny you can hold them in your palm. Then picture a surgical fellow comes to insert a drain in your child's stomach. Like a good surgeon, he washes his hands and he puts on his cap. Then he blows his nose and grabs the sterile equipment with his bare hands. Are you kidding me? Mama Bear came out to play. The nurse said, that's sterile. You've contaminated it. He said he didn't. So I said, you just blew your nose and touched it with no gloves. I was told I had to sit down. Fortunately, the equipment was replaced and they made him rewash because, quote, the mother was concerned. Thank you. But really, I shouldn't have been the only concerned party. Time to swing back up. The drain insertion went well. Things were looking better. Roller coaster ride down. I left the hospital with the thought that I may be called in. I called Ruben at midnight and he decided to make the long trek to Vancouver. Fortunately, friends could watch the kids and by 3.30 a.m., Ruben had arrived. We both totally disintegrated. It was late, we were exhausted, and David had had such a long day. My journal entry for November 9th wasn't very long. It could be summed up by one scrawl on the lined paper. Exhaustion equals constant. November 11th is Remembrance Day in Canada, a day much like Thanksgiving in my mind because it's time to be thankful for so much of what we have. 
our freedom, a safe country, and people who have and still are keeping Canada that way. Vancouver felt very solemn. On this day, I wrote about how not being able to touch David regularly created anxiety. Because when you see your child in pain, all you want to do is scoop them up into your arms. We were at least two weeks away from any holding. The day was drawing near, though. Plus, I learned that our little man had surpassed his birth weight. Reuben was getting ready to head in for a visit. I was at dinner with the kids. When over the loudspeaker, the nurse calls out, Doctor to bed four, stat. That's David's bed. In runs a doctor. Reuben tries to enter the NICU and he's stopped. He's not allowed in. Uh, what? Why? Shortly after, a nurse comes out and explains that David had pulled out his breathing tube. It would take them 30 minutes to put it back in and Reuben couldn't go in until it was reinserted. Reuben texted me and I almost vomited. He told me to stay at dinner because I wouldn't be allowed in anyways. Every fiber of my being was urging me to go back, but I allowed the kids to finish dinner before we returned. That was a brutal 40 minutes. Poor Reuben was shaking and itching to go in and see with his own eyes that our baby was okay. After an agonizing 30 minutes, Reuben was allowed to enter the NICU and speak with the doctors and nurses. The reintubation was successful and David did great. That was the best text I've ever received. I returned with the kids and we saw little David sleeping with his new tube. The nurses took a picture of David without his tubes. That was the first time Reuben and the kids had seen his whole face. It was a nice little memento. There's something about being in a bleak place in your life where you can identify the positives that remain. Maybe, in comparison to all the negatives, the positives seem more magnified. Because on this day, after we had spent weeks in a state of fear and exhaustion, with the NICU roller coaster lurching up and down, I spent time thinking of others and all they gave us during our stay. I sat taking in the last five minutes of my visit with David before Ruben and I switched duties, and I couldn't help but think of how difficult it must be for everyone around us. All those who supported us made a sacrifice to do so. Whether it was with their time or their money, they didn't get the benefit of seeing David for themselves on a regular basis, or at all. I know so many sat and waited for news about his health status. Waiting must have been awful. In their own little way, all of my prayer warriors, child care helpers, food makers, and monetary providers created an environment where David had the time and money to get better. You helped to heal him and our family. You were and still are appreciated. I cannot thank those people enough. I remain exceedingly grateful. Much love from us to you. Your sacrifices made you my heroes. May God bless you and look on you favorably for all that you did without any expectation of anything in return. I love you all. Written and narrated by me, Michelle Nyong'o. Music by The Wristband. All post-production work done by Waxwing Productions. Cover image designed by Danielle McCrae.